everyone, it's Daniel Elwood and Robert Paul Johnson, and we are The Last Nighters. You can find us on lastnighters.com and also on the Liberty Movement's YouTube channel. We also are streaming live on Twitch right now, so uh, buckle up for this one. It's going to be great. The stars are aligning, and we are going to be doing La La Land and chasse our way through this musical rom-com. It celebrates old Hollywood with a hint of jazz with our friend Miguel Duque of Amagi Entrepreneurs. This is his third appearance on the show. He was last with us for Napoleon Dynamite and before that, The Social Network. And oddly enough, he is no longer on several of the main social networks, which we were just discussing in the pre-show bonus content available for our Patreon supporters. Go to lastnarrative.com slash Patreon for that. You find the show notes and more for this at lastnarrative.com slash 161. But Miguel, welcome back to the show. Why don't you remind everyone uh, your little, you know, elevator pitch and uh, what made you want to do this particular movie, sir? Hey, hey guys, thanks for having me back. Um, yeah, uh, my name's Miguel, and well, um, my little spiel for folks who want to know about me is um, I am a libertarian voluntarist. Um, uh, liberty activist here in Washington. And I'm also a business and personal growth coach. I'm a certified coach and um, offer that to entrepreneurs out there or folks who could benefit from one-on-one coaching to achieve their goals. Uh, and so you can find me at amagi.life, A-M-A-G-I dot life. Um, as you mentioned, one of the previous times I was on I was talking about Amagi Entrepreneurs, which was my Facebook group that um, I probably ended up shutting down not too long after that because I went ahead and deactivated my Facebook, um, which has been awesome. It's been freeing. And so now I am in various other corners of the internet doing my thing. Um, I'm on MeWe. I'm on Float. I'm on Minds. I'm on um, kind of all the good decentralized platforms that are pro-free speech. And uh, what else? I'm involved with the, uh, I may not have talked about this before, I'm involved with the Libertarian Party Mises Caucus, um, advancing the ideas of Rothbard and Mises and Ron Paul within the Libertarian Party and uh, pretty much bringing the Ron Paul revolution back. So that's been fun. And also, more recently, I've been doing a lot within the Freedom Cells Network. That was something that you and I were messaging about a little bit, Daniel, where um, you know, it's pretty much it's this it's this concept where you can form local uh, freedom loving groups that that, you know, a small decentralized local group that can help you achieve more real practical freedom in your life, more sovereignty, more independence, more self-reliance, good stuff like that. And so we've got a pretty good group of, um, of freedom lovers here throughout Washington and the Northwest who are involved in the Freedom Cells Network, which folks can check out at freedomcells.org. That's C-E-L-L-S, freedomcells.org. Um, kind of instead of a, not a terror cell, okay? So we've got to really convince people nowadays, I guess, that if you believe in freedom, that you're not a terrorist, but we're not terrorists. We're very much, we love peace and freedom, and we just want to achieve that and build better alternatives to the whole status paradigm. So that's been super fun. And I'm really excited about everything we're, we're doing here locally and worldwide, for that matter, with the Freedom Cells Network. So um, I wanted to do La La Land because it's just one of my favorite movies. And, um, you know, like you guys alluded to before we started, like, yeah, this is this is a great date movie. This when we, when I first saw this, my wife and I went out to the movie theater. Um, we probably went to let me think about this. I think it was 2016. Right. So this was back in Houston at like the movie tavern where 
you know, both both things that are now outlawed in Washington. You can't go to the movies and you can't go get dinner. Well, that's what we did to go see La La Land. We went to the movie tavern. And uh, later also for Valentine's Day one year up here in Seattle, they actually had it at Benaroya Hall um, where the Seattle Symphony plays. And they had like the movie being shown. It was a screening of La La Land with the actual live symphony playing all the songs. And that was amazing. That was a really special uh, experience that I'm glad we, um, I'm glad we splurged for because I just enjoy this movie a lot. It always, always just gets me way deep in the feels, you know? So, uh, and I felt like it was a good time, you know, let's, let's talk about this movie. So I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to hear what you guys have to say about it. All right. Well, not to be a spoiler alert or anything, but Robert, uh, and I have done musicals in the past, and uh, musicals have not received high marks from us in the past. Though we'll see, we will see if it's different on this one. <laughs> we will find out. Now uh, we usually start this off with the old Google description, so I'm going to start uh, trying to share my screen. I'm going to have some technical difficulties, and uh, I think in the pre-show I made a joke that, as forgetful as I am now, I can maybe run for president. So <laughs> let me see. Is that showing up? Yeah, I think it is. Okay. So yeah, La La Land, here we go, came out uh, just a few short years ago, 2016, PG-13 musical slash romance, two hours and eight minutes with lots of singing and dancing. Got an eight out of 10 on IMDb, 91% Rotten Tomatoes, 94% Metacritic, 85% of Google users liked it, and it almost won the best picture. But psych, bringing the 90s back, it did not. Um, <laughs> and well, I'm sure we'll discuss that in a moment. But uh, the description is Sebastian played by Ryan Gosling and Mia, played by Emma Stone, are drawn together by their common desire to do what they love. But as success mounts, they are faced with decisions that begin to fray the fragile fabric of their love affair and the dreams they work so hard to maintain in each other threaten to rip them apart. Came out December 9th of 2016. Director's Damien Chazelle. Hope I said that right. Has lots of singing and dancing, as we were saying. And uh, John Legend's in it, uh, among others, J.K. Simmons, who is... Uh, Jonah Jameson, I think, in uh, the Spider-Man movies and also in State Farm commercials. Uh, he has a bit part in this. Uh, the one interesting thing that I uh, can recall from reading about this is that Ryan Gosling learned to play the piano. And so there are no hand models in this one, baby. That's Ryan Gosling playing the piano in this. And, uh, you know, he does a fair job, I think, you know, not too bad, not too shabby. Yeah, I wish I could learn something like that. And uh, I think he spent maybe two months trying to learn how to do that. And it worked out just for him. And uh, related to, you know, why you want to do this movie, I had thought that not only is it a movie that you like, but you also, due to your entrepreneurialness, uh-huh. entrepreneurialness, saw some entrepreneurial points to make with these people who were so driven and attracted to each other by their drive to uh, achieve their dreams and how their romance sort of got in the way of those dreams. And it made them fall I guess it, it hurt their relationship when they were no longer pursuing their dreams as ardently as they had before. And so that's kind of the lesson uh, or one of the lessons that I could draw from this. But anyway, uh, Robert, let's go to you for your opening number uh, on the uh, freeway overpass, 100 feet in the air with hundreds of cars singing and dancing and uh, twirling about and not falling off. <laughs> yes. So La La Land, um, I've now seen the movie three times. And you're right, Daniel, I generally dislike musicals, especially when, I mean, the worst musical we ever did was Les Miserables with Hugh Jackman, where every single line of dialogue was sung. And it got to be so tedious and annoying 
that I, yeah, I just couldn't stand it. But in this film, you know, the songs kind of, they don't really progress the plot, but, uh, you know, a little bit, they kind of just kind of give atmosphere, you know, I don't know. I, I wasn't annoyed by the songs. I didn't like Gosling singing. I thought he was the weak link on all of that, but um, I'm a huge Emma Stone fan. And I think that this is her best like acting performance. She gets to do all kinds of emotional things with her face and her eyes. She has a very expressive face and she's so ah, just good in this film that, uh, yeah, I, I, I went back and looked at her other work after I saw this film. It's like, Oh, she was also in the amazing Spider-Man movies. Oh, okay. Well, I guess I'll go back and watch those. Those were not great movies, but she's still, I could see why uh, she was casting them because she's just good. Um, but she's better in this. I wouldn't recommend necessarily having to go back and watch those Spider-Man movies, but I liked how in your, um, your Google description, when you type in La La Land, one of the questions that people ask is why La La Land is so good. As if you're going to ask the internet and then the internet is going to tell you why a movie is good. It's such a subjective thing. I mean, I could tell you why I liked it, but why should you like it? Why you should think it's good. I, I think you have to judge for yourself there on that one. Um, this movie, uh, it was written and directed by the same guy, a young guy. It's very impressive. Um, it's a, it's a romantic comedy that almost pretty much nails the romance where you have two characters that are endearing to each other and the ro- and the audience understands why they are endearing themselves to each other, why they have feelings for each other. It makes sense to the audience because you see them being charming to each other. You see them supporting each other. You see why they care about each other. And so, yeah, I could see why this hits Miguel in the feels. It hit me in the feels very much. Um, you have that very first interaction between them, not the very first one where he pushes past her, but at the, um, the eighties party where he comes up and approaches her and they have this very witty bantery interaction, not so insanely wittery bantery, like the social network, but more believably wittery bantery. Like I could imagine myself like in my witty wittiest self, hopefully having some kind of fun conversation like that with a woman and just being like, Oh, these two people are matching on a level that you don't normally get with other human beings, you have two people on the same level that you're, you're, you're seeing sparks. You're seeing that chemistry because they are hitting each other at that spot. So right. that, and, and I'll it, put a, a pin on Google maps where that occurs, because I'll have had the address from you sending it to me beforehand. You son of a bitch. That's what I would do. If I was going to that party, I'd send you the stupid address because you never know what's going to happen at an eighties party. All right. Um, and then, yeah, the, the movie, like you said, Daniel, it is two characters following their passions and them supporting each other and then being attracted to each other because they have that passion. Um, having been in the dating world for some time now, one of the first questions I ask somebody is, what are you passionate about? And like the movie talks about, people want to they want to know, like Gosling talks about, like you'll they'll like it because you're you like it because you're passionate about this story. That's why they're going to fall in love with it, too. Then the quality is going to come through and people are going to enjoy that. Uh, th- I think he's totally right. 
I I want to see what I want to know what people are passionate about. I want to see that they actually have passions. I think if people fail that, what are you passionate about question? I think that's a big red flag. That's just my own two cents, but that's how I feel. I think you got to have an interest in life, things that you actually do care about. Um, Cause that kind of shows reveals your, who you are as a person, what your character is. Uh, so this movie it pretty much fires on all cylinders except for Gosling singing. I'm I'm curious <laughs> you you he did learn how to play the piano. I'm curious how much of the piano he actually played, like how much we actually heard. Like you know he could have been just like miming it, and then we actually heard some actual real piano player play. I don't I don't know, but what what I'm um, told is it was it was him literally. It really was him, him the whole time. There was no no hand model, no no, uh, no dubbing. Someone else playing it. Really? Wow. Okay. Well, impressive, Ryan. I mean, he's a talented guy. Uh, I thought his best scenes were where him and Emma were, you know, interacting on a very emotional level. Like he was really pushing her to uh, like when he shows up at her house in Nevada, that's like a really strong scene for the two of them. And he's like, no, you've got to do this. What are you talking about? Why would you quit? Are you crazy? And he gets insane because this is a betrayal of who she is as a character, how he knows her to be. Uh, this movie is just, it's great. Um, it's worth the rewatch. I think the third, this is the third time I've seen it. And I think it was the best time. Like I, it, it just keeps getting better and better. The characters seem to endear themselves to me more and more and more. Uh, it's an incredibly mature script from a young, I don't know if it's a first time director or writer or whatever, but he's, you know, obviously not like a super been there, done that kind of a guy, like an experienced guy. So that was really impressive. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't know. It was it's a phenomenal rom com. I I I really enjoyed it. Wow. All right. So so high marks from you. It sounds like it's going to be. Um, now, the 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 piano playing. While it was him, I, it kind of stood out to me in watching it that he's supposed to be this jazz pianist. And yeah, it's okay, but it didn't sound like he was like super jazzy to me. You know. So. Mm. Eh, okay. You know, what did you think of the jazz in the movie? Like, I think, you know, in the, in the beginning, she's like, I don't like jazz. And I think that's a, the feeling that a lot of people have. Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, wait a minute. You haven't experienced jazz. Like I experienced jazz. And I think the movie has a fair amount of a fair point to that. Yeah. I liked that part where he described the origins of jazz, where it came from, why it has meaning. And he also talks about kind of why it's going away. And, and, this is a question I was going to say for perhaps later, but uh, some reviewers, some prominent reviewers said that uh, they viewed Gosling's character as a quote unquote white savior, that he was the <laughs> guy who's going to come and appropriate culture and save jazz. Um, white people which, just can't do anything. Just get out of here. White people. We don't want to see you. Do yeah, anything. I thought things. that was pretty, that was a pretty racist take, honestly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, John legend is in it also, and he's trying to save jazz. I mean, whatever. In his own way, yeah, the jazz yeah. fusion stuff. But but I did like that that he was that uh, the Gosling character was passionate about something that is going away, is kind of a dying art, and and I think uh, it sort of echoed with Emma Stone's admiration for old Hollywood, and this whole movie is sort of a, a callback to Hollywood of the past, Hollywood musical with numbers and and uh, big song and dance routines, all shot in one take, big cinema scope, you know, big wide. Uh, and all that stuff. And you just don't see that kind of stuff, you know, things like that were done back in the fifties. Uh, yeah. Big, big productions. And this is a bit of a hearkening back to that. And I think that also is maybe why it did get so many award nominations is because it had that nostalgia pull. 
for people in that industry. Big time. It's also in the way that it combines old genres and kind of reinvigorates them and mixes it up and kind of makes it new. Again, it reminds me of Quentin Tarantino and the way that he would take bits and pieces of different genres and mash them up and make a new thing in yeah, kind like of an old model stuff, different old things. Western stuff. Yeah. No, it's cool. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, does anybody know what this director has done since or anything else that he's done? Well, one thing worth mentioning is he's a real young guy. Um, I think when he did La La Land, he was like 32 years old. And uh, the one big movie that he was known for before La La Land was Whiplash, uh, which is another movie with uh, J.K. Simmons, another jazz-related movie about somebody who's obsessed with jazz. And he, um, you know, actually in that film, um, it's not really much of a spoiler. Pretty all in, pretty pretty early on in the film, like he breaks up with his girl, almost in like Mark Zuckerberg social network style, like at a bar, and he's basically just like, "Hey, look, I am." look, here's what my life is about is I'm going to be one of the greats. I'm going to be one of the great jazz drummers of all time. And ain't nobody got time for you. you Yeah, exactly. So um, that was another great movie. That's a really, really good movie. Um, There were, Oh, one thing noteworthy on that note about whiplash and about this director uh, was he had this vision for La La Land, this movie that he wanted to make and nobody wanted to, fund him or support him in making the movie. Cause it's like, wait, so you're telling me you're going to make a movie that's set in LA set in Hollywood, right? Like, uh, it's, it's a musical, it's a romance. Um, it's, uh, something about blah, blah, blah. Okay. All the cliches that you can possibly think of, right? Nobody wanted, nobody was interested in this movie until he made whiplash. And then people are like, Oh, okay. This director is onto something. And then he managed to get his shot at making La La Land, which, yeah, if you think about it, it's like all the biggest cliches, but it's done in such a way that's just a, such a nice homage to film itself. So I think that that's another cool thing about us doing this that, you know, on on your film podcast that we're doing this movie that's kind of like really a tribute to to film in a lot of ways. Um, uh, but yeah, one note about I think his name's Chazelle, um, the director. Right. Yep. You are correct, sir. And uh, did you find the um, the drive to be the best or to follow their dreams to be uh, a believable characteristic to you? And and does that give you any? Do you do you find entrepreneurial lessons in this? Not only in the story of the director having this idea and trying to peddle it for a while and nobody wanting it until he had a success, because uh, that's almost a lesson unto itself, right? That's kind of meta, isn't it? Where you know, this story probably relates a lot to that. I'm sure that the director himself, more than any of us, relate to this story. And yes, I very much do find truth and believability in the story and, the you know, pursuing your passions. Um, like the two characters, what you were saying, Rob, about the way that they sort of click on a weird level, even though they're both putting up a front, and they know that they're both putting up a front. They're both putting on an act. Mia is literally an actress. And Sebastian is like also this sort of like cynical guy who is sort of like fed up with the world because people have zero taste. And they're the type of people, the world is populated, certainly LA is populated by the type of people that go on the Goog and type in why La La Land is good. 
you know, <laughs> that's why Jazz is dying. So he's kind of a cynic. <laughs> and Mia is kind of a cynic because like, you know, there's the feeling of being someone in the crowd and like wanting to be seen for who you are. But you kind of have this pessimism like, oh, of course, nobody's going to see me for who I am because everybody's a freaking idiot zombie NPC. And um, therefore, nobody like values my individuality, you know, so they both have that sort of jadedness. And they both have this big, big vision. And um, obviously, that's where kind of the struggle comes in is because they're kind of clashing with the world. And, um, and they but they see each other's they see each other's passion. Definitely, they see each other's individuality, even though they were putting up that front, like kind of they still their chemistry managed to make it through that. And, uh, and about the pat or about the drive and the, you know, following one's dreams. Yeah. I thought it was a very compelling story about basically, um, kind of goes back to just, um, human action itself, right. Um, or, or economics or praxeology. It's about human action. Um, economics and, and, and human action are about trade-offs, and so economics in one lesson by Harry Hazlitt talks about how economics is about the seen versus the unseen, you know, and about opportunity costs. Well, when you are reaching for the biggest life that you can possibly live in line with your values and in line with your mission and your vision, you have to say no to everything else if you're ever going to really reach that, realize that potential. Um, you've got to say no to a thousand things so that you can say yes to your one thing. And a lot of those trade-offs are very, very hard to make um, because the world is so full. The world is so abundant with everything that you might want to be and to do and to have or to know. And well, there's scarcity. You know, we're we're living in a in a world of uh, of scarce resources and limited wants. And there's only this little sliver of the pie that you end up get, getting to have with your time. I mean, you know, you can't be a master of everything. You can't be a master of, you know, you can't be a mat, like you can't be one of the greatest jazz people of all time and have all the other things that you want in the world. Like you kind of have to make the trade-offs. And well, it's a very compelling story here where you get to experience how they find this real this this real just authentic love and that ends up being kind of one of the victims of them each pursuing their their dreams you know right but at the same time have, they wouldn't have wanted it any other way yeah totally so man it's like gives me gives me the tingles even just talking about it you know so i very much i think that there's a lot of you know i think there's a lot of truth and i think that everybody on some level probably relates to a story like this because you know we all have these dreams and we all probably have a sense of being just that someone in the crowd that people don't really fully see you for who you are. Like only you, only you really, you know, all those intimate things that you dream about. You don't even want to tell people about it because like, yeah, you know, I can imagine you Rob being on a date, right. And wanting to know like, Hey, what are you passionate about? And it's almost like you, you know, most people are so guarded, like you might not even feel like that person deserves to know what you're passionate about. Right. They've got to earn that right to even know what you're passionate about. Like, you know, we kind of, um, I don't know. That's oftentimes the world, maybe I'm, maybe I'm sounding too emo for a coach, but honestly, sometimes like the world feels so cold and uncaring about you and your passions, like doesn't give a shit about you. And, um, you've just got to break through that. You've just got to keep pushing no matter like all the people that don't see 
your value, like there's not always a market for it. Like when, uh, when Sebastian, you know, he's got this dream that for a while, it seems like he gives up on his dream of, uh, starting up this jazz club. And he's probably got a sense that's probably accurate that there's not really a market for this thing. I mean, there probably wasn't really a market for his jazz club until he went and made it big with a, he compromised, he compromised on his dreams, compromised on his vision, you know, to, cause initially earlier in the movie, he says uh, something to the effect of, you know, he's like, you know, he's showing Mia what jazz is all about. And he's like, look, it's dying because people say, yes, let it die. And I say, no, not on my watch. Right. And she's like, wow, well, what are you going to do? And he's like, I'm going to have my own club someday. And we're going to play what we want, when we want, how we want, just as long as it's pure, you know, and he's like single-handedly in that way, he's going to save jazz with his one little club, you know, and um, he compromises on that because he goes and he goes and joins John Legend, John Legend guy's band. Uh, what's his name? Uh, 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 Keith. Keith. And, um, yeah. And he goes and joins that band and he's not playing what he wants, when he wants, how he wants. And it's not at all pure. And uh, kind of tying this to like libertarianism. I don't know if you guys follow any of the libertarian party politics. Um, if not, I don't blame you. Okay. So yeah, I try, I try but, not to, <laughs> but there's the, there's the purists, if you will. And I don't use that pejoratively like a lot of people do. There's the there's the true believers in liberty, right? There's like the Ron Paul Rothbardians that want real pure liberty. They want the message, you know, out there waking people up. And then there's the pragmatists who are like, man, come on, nobody's listening to that, okay? Nobody wants to hear that. They don't want to hear about legalizing all drugs or taxation as theft, okay? They want to hear about, and they, actually the reality is they, they don't. People don't want to hear about 2% more freedom. But there's the pragmatists who want to make that argument. And so there's kind of a little callback. I think there's a little there's a little bit of, of how you can relate this story to the liberty movement. But, but he compromises on his dream um, in order to, you know, basically for money. Like he kind of sells out and he knows, he knows that he sold out. Well, also he does it for her or what he thinks she wants because of that conversation she had with her mom about whether he's making any progress or any success. And so he hears that and he's like, well, I'll take this job because that's what she wants. She won't tell me directly that's what she wants, but she's told her mom and thus I now know that's what she wants. So that's why he did that. But um, that was brilliant, really quick. Like that was brilliant how they did that scene and he's in the room He's putting on his little tie and she's off in the hallway. And then for a, for like 10 or 15 seconds, they're just showing like the stain on the ceiling, like the water, like the, the, the water damage stain mm-hmm. on the ceiling. Like that's, that's what's in the shot while she's talking to her mom on the phone. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. It just shows like the disrepair of his current living situation, you know, like that he hasn't made it and, and that, uh, yeah, the mom would want to be reassured that, <laughs> He's a guy who's going to be able to take care of her daughter and all of that. But, um, you know, taking this to the to the entrepreneurial level a little bit again, we, we had the Emma character who she's been going through the motions, you know, for like five years. She's been going to these auditions and things and, and hasn't had a whole lot of success. And she's getting a bit jaded. And uh, we see the example of her doing this emotional scene and then somebody getting, getting interrupted who's supposed to be watching her. 
and uh, for, you know, whatever lunch they're going to have or whatever. And, and so it just kind of goes into the, she's just one of hundreds of people auditioning for these parts. And she's sort of falling into this routine and, and maybe not um, doing anything like extraordinary. Whereas the, the Sebastian character is a little bit different where he's, he definitely is driven and he has this goal of what he wants to do, but he's like fighting against sort of the limitations of what his opportunities are. So he'll take these jobs to, you know, play at uh, JK Simmons uh, uh, club or his restaurant, but he's supposed to play just Christmas music, but he wants to like throw a couple of flourishes in there and play his own thing. And, and like kind of almost rebel in a little way, but he hasn't like earned that yet or, or that's not what he was hired to do. But both of them, both needed to take a different tack. Like these aren't fresh off the boat coming into LA full of dreams and, and um, you know, like they, they've been there for a while. They've been trying this for a while. And I think that was an interesting kind of way to present them in the story. You know, they're not like um, Axl Rose getting off the bus in Welcome to the Jungle. They, these guys have been there for a while, uh, but they both needed to do something different. And Sebastian, I think he did need to get over his, animosity with Keith to use not the job as a sellout, but as a means to achieve his goal, to be able to earn money and build up, you know, a name and a reputation perhaps to then make the club more viable, more successful. Whereas the Emma Stone character, she needed to get out of just this hoping and praying and, and just signing up for more and more auditions. She needed to break out and do her own thing. And that was where her writing her own play uh, and with with the you know push and the drive from Gosling's character to actually do it, um, and like Robert, you were saying earlier, that's what people um, saw and and liked her because of it. So she was no longer just one of hundreds of you know <laughs> blonde actress auditioning for Part B or whatever, however they you know label these things. So they both had to make some some changes after being kind of in the. Um, trenches of trying to achieve their their dreams uh but they needed to do something different and, and in finding each other i think they both built on each other and pushed each other to go and achieve those things right they each offered something up to each other that they weren't getting otherwise beyond just the romance they were helping each other succeed and that's why it plays so well for the audience or one of the reasons why you can imagine that this romance is true and why the the ending is is fairly heartbreaking so even though she goes to the the club and uh you know reimagines her whole life in this one song if, if things had happened just a little bit differently but in the end, she decides to, no, I'm sorry, this is, I needed you for then. And now we clearly don't need each other. Uh, and we're moving on with our lives. And it's, and it hits you in the feels. And then it hits you in the feels even more when you realize that Gavin Newsom is shut steps down and uh, <laughs> Ryan Gosling is destitute. <laughs> yeah, seriously. That wasn't, that was literally, seriously, that was another element of kind of the, the emotions that I was feeling. Um, this time around watching the movie because um because i definitely felt, I, I you know it's, it's always kind of tugged at my heartstrings and stuff this is one of the very few maybe the only movies that's like really made me cry you know like and um and i'm not like i'm not like a i'm not that type of dude that cries at movies or whatever but i remember when i first saw it it was really is the last scene when he sees her in the club and he sits down at the piano and he starts playing, man, that just, oh, I just couldn't hold, I couldn't hold him back. 
couldn't hold the tears back. But uh, but this time around, it was like sadness because all that stuff is now non-essential. It's like so many people have had their lives absolutely crushed, all their dreams crushed. You know, people who maybe saw getting to getting to you know getting to um, compete at the Olympics this past year as what would have been one of the def- the defining moments, you know, of their lives. And they'll never get to, you know, um, so many terrible things. Yeah. So that was definitely another layer of the emotions. Right. Yeah. Around. And it's all almost all for nothing because like many studies have come out recently that said like these lockdowns have virtually no effect and only negative effects. Virtually right? no positive yeah. effects. So it's, it's like, okay, they're doing this for show. And it really does seem like it was just used in a political climate because it was an election year to hurt the incumbent. Um, now that may be conspiratorial sounding, but it doesn't seem far off because what a difference a day makes and that day being January 20th of this year, uh, the tune has seemingly changed significantly as far as like the takes on um, how dire things are. Uh, and many governors and, and mayors who were very strong proponents of locking people down and saying that if you had Thanksgiving and people at your house, that they'd arrest you and things like that. Like, I think that's what uh, Mayor Lightfoot of Chicago was saying. And now she's like, hey, restaurants, why don't you go open? And uh, even Cuomo was like, hey, uh, we need to open things up. Otherwise, there won't be anything to open. Like, well, yeah, but you're the guy who shut them down. (laughs) It's amazing, isn't it? How they get to be the monster who causes all the disaster and then the savior at the end when they reverse their policies. It's yeah, it's amazing how they just walk away. Scott, I, I just I just saw this uh, today that um, apparently in New York, they were undercounting the deaths in the nursing homes, which I do find actually somewhat surprising because the numbers were quite high due to the policies of the governor there who was putting because of non-discrimination, putting people who were COVID positive into these nursing homes. Uh, so basically putting the illness directly into contact with the most vulnerable. But this is also at a time when it seemed to be that uh, the powers that be were doing whatever they could to increase the numbers. They would count anything as a COVID case and anything as a COVID death, even if it was just COVID related or happened to have or whatever. And so I find it surprising that they would uh, now have been discovered to be having undercounted uh, when at the time it seemed like they were doing whatever they could to overcount. But anyway, uh, I don't mean to tangent uh, totally off of the subject of the movie here, but I just find these things interesting and rather coincidental or not. They seem to be strangely timed, yes. Like the yeah. the, the who coming out and saying, oh, we've been having our test be far too sensitive and registering any single particle as being a COVID positive when yeah. that's... Like clearly... four hours after the inauguration. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's watching this movie, like, you know, you see, you you see Hollywood, you see the arts and culture, it's kind of like a big thing that the movie is about. And so, yeah, just to think that um, a place like California, where that's so I would, you know, at least as an outsider, um, it seems like, you know, the arts and culture is is a big thing that makes California what it is. And um, (laughs) that's was just like thrown out practically like uh like it's totally worthless for all this covid stuff and um um i mean i guess they've continued to produce movies and stuff but you got to shut you know got to shut all the theaters down got to shut shut all the all the music and all the restaurants down and stuff like that so it's pretty sad um yeah especially since due to the arbitrary nature of it right like these these certain industries are gonna 
eat crow and eat shit and then everybody else so these other industries over here are going to be perfectly fine to be open it's it's government picking winners and losers in the most extreme sense of the word yeah and a lot of rules for thee but not for me kind of stuff happening um, as well um and i guess there was a big uh, recall effort for newsom and it seems that maybe that also plays a role in uh the change in tune to bring this back to the movie about singing and mm. what did you guys think of old goss the old goose man i i thought, thought his um i mean i didn't think his singing was terrible or anything i think it just added to the charm of the film that our um, our, our stars, our pr- star protagonists, and everybody were were really authentically. This this was them at their most authentic selves. It wasn't a stunt double or whatever the proper term is for somebody who subs in, you know, as a singer or a musical performer like they did. Yeah, Gosling uh, did three months, you know, three hours a day on the piano. They like paid him to do that as like a pre production uh, preparation process and. Um, same with uh, both of them got vocal coaching and all that stuff and, you know, extensive, extensive dance lessons and all that. So they definitely put a lot of work into the film that even if, yeah, they're not, he's not going to ever be as good a singer as someone who does that for a living, but uh, he was pretty good. And it kind of, it just made it more believable. That's probably why as a musical, it was more tolerable is because it wasn't so fake. Like I'm not a musical person either. I wouldn't have, chosen probably any other musical to come on and do with you guys unless it was i don't know maybe like the south park movie or something like that but um (laughs) but uh but this one it wasn't yeah it wasn't like a lot of those other music musicals where it just felt way more authentic so i thought his singing was great because it kind of it served the purpose of great (laughs) exactly yeah Yeah. fair enough exactly authenticity that goes a long way yeah, fair enough. I, although I loved Emma's singing, I thought it was fine. If that was indeed her, and I assume it was, it is. Yeah, that's that was their singing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Daniel, which, in terms of authenticity, you know, one thing that I noticed was it's kind of a repeat theme throughout throughout the film is really authenticity and being yourself and not like compromising or selling out on what your dreams truly are. But when you were seeing um, Mia, Emma Stone's character, doing all those auditions and stuff, they do a lot of interesting stuff in this movie with color. And one thing I happened to notice was, um, say, when she goes out with the gals at the party in the beginning, they're all wearing their different color dresses. And Emma or Mia is the blue dress. And everybody, the other women are yellow dress, red dress, green dress. This is going to sound real wonky or maybe... I don't know, very esoteric, but this is something that I noticed. And she's doing all these different auditions. There's a bright yellow background. There's a bright green background. There's a bright red background, or she's wearing like a red jacket, right? Or like, you know, she's wearing a yellow dress or what have you. And you can tell like she's going into these auditions and she's kind of fake. And that's why she doesn't get the parts is she comes across as kind of fake. She doesn't really, she doesn't really sell it, or it's just not believable when she's, you know, the tough the tough inner city teacher who the students like, why you be tripping? And she's like, no, why you be tripping? And it's just like, yeah, she's super fake. Um, (laughs) But there's this one audition that she does where she gets rejected, where she had, she had the coffee spill all over her blouse and she puts this blue jacket over to cover that. 
but she's giving this extremely authentic performance. She's on the phone, she's crying, you know, it's actually a really great performance. And then the stupid ass um, page person interrupts to order a sandwich or something like that to take their lunch order. And she's like crushed because she was giving her everything. She was pouring out her heart and soul into this audition. She was giving her authentic self. She just happened to be wearing a blue coat. I noticed that. But towards the end, she finally does this audition where they see her, they see her true talent. And she's just got the most homely, um, modest, little light blue sweater. Um, It's interesting things they do with color in this film. And that was just a theme that I saw was their inauthenticity throughout a lot of the film. But there's there's the little there's the little moments where they let their true self their true selves shine. So are you saying that you're you're noticing there's like almost technicolor colors when it's more fake and there's more muted tones when they're more being them true their true selves? There's a little bit of that. Yeah, there is a little bit of that. A lot of sometimes those most those most evocative moments, um, those most intimate moments, like everything goes dark, everything kind of goes dim, you know. And yeah, there's, there's still there's still pops of color, but uh, but you have this all this exaggerated exaggerated color, the exaggerated skyline, you know, in the scene that it's in the, that's in your background right there, you know, super exaggerated colors, um, and that's kind of part of the part of the theme of the film, right? Is Hollywood and it's all produced and it's all like a big production. Um, so yeah, that was just a neat thing that I, you know, things that are going on with the cinematography there. All right. Well, very good. Well, Hey, we're, we're getting close to, uh, the end of our show already. Uh, time flies when we're talking about musicals apparently. So, uh, Robert, I'm sure you were about to make a point, but, um, I'll let you do that. And, and anything else you've got on your notes or that you want to bring up before we get into final summary review after that. You know, I didn't take a single note. Um, I was going to, and I, I had a few things rattling around in my brain, but it was mostly just about how much this movie nails convincing the audience that this is really taking place. I mean, obviously it's fantastical and set against this Hollywood backdrop where everything is produced, like you guys are saying, but the romance completely i mean they completely sold it to me and 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 the movies doesn't work if it doesn't work right if you go to the very end of the movie and you never believe that they should have been together in the first place the ending falls absolutely flat you're like yeah i'm glad you didn't get together you shouldn't have that was a nightmare you shouldn't have gotten together but people believe it because they meant something to each other and it also you know the 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 real world pressures of providing and following your dreams and sacrificing for that like he's he loves this girl but yet he you know he he feels this pressure from himself and also from her to pursue his dream and the job with the messengers helps pay for that now we're not exactly expressly told that that's what pays for sebs but it it's kind of implied right and it is implied that the the movie is what launches her career. And all of a sudden she goes on to be a big star, but, um, and we kind of, you know, we, we obviously we run out of time and I think we were probably skipping a lot of interesting things that could be done with that five year time jump. But, um, I mean, for what we're, what we're given, this is a, this is a fantastic film. It's an amazing effort by a lot of talented people. It's an impressive script from, a guy that just did whiplash. Uh, he's clearly a talent to watch. 
I would watch another one of this guy's films in a heartbeat. Uh, I don't know if he's come out with anything recently. I don't know what the story is with him. It's been four years, obviously, since he's done something that I've, I've heard of or know about. I don't know why that is. I'm sure there are reasons, good reasons. But um, I'm sure there are plenty of people that would love to work with him if he's not already doing that. Um, I don't know if he's one of these auteurs that only wants to direct stuff he himself writes and have like total control. Uh, sometimes you get to be a bit of a writer's block and you just don't know what to do. You feel like you're out of stories. I don't know what his situation is. I'm completely speculating. So I could be totally wrong, of course. I probably am because I'm completely ignorant of all of this. But um, uh, final summary, you know, I've just been raving about this movie the whole time. So I can't give it anything less than a, man, I want to say it's either an 8.5 or a 9. I'm really tempted to go 9 just because of the rewatchability, the authenticity, the the way they nail the romance. Um, and it even has a lot of good funny lines. There are some actually full-on funny funny parts that I wouldn't even call this a, a rom-com. It's more of a rom-drama, but man, it's, yeah, it's just a, a musical rom-com drama. It's, it's a million different things all wrapped in one and it just tells a great story. So yeah, this is a nine for me. Uh, highly recommended if you haven't seen it. Um, even if you haven't seen it and you just listen to this, I don't think even, I don't even, we're probably spoiling things, but it's still, you know, it's not ruining the movie for you. This thing is unspoilable as far as I'm concerned, other than maybe the that they don't get together in the end. But even then, it's like, that's, I don't know, maybe you'd still want to watch it to find out why they don't get together or whatever. I don't know. But yeah, but, highly recommended. And, and as What's you said, it? rewatchability. So even if you do see it and know the story, it's still worth watching again, uh, at least yeah. in your guys' uh, esteemed opinions. Now, I may disagree slightly, uh, mm. When I saw the opening number, it almost lost me there and, and my wife as well, because it just seemed so over the top, you know, um, and I can see the appeal to it after having seen the movie, I guess. But in the watching it, since you're not really sure what you're getting, because you're right, it is kind of this amalgamation of a bunch of different things with a lot of throwback to nostalgia. But then there's like moments that kind of don't seem to fit and it juxtaposes a little bit. Now, by the end, it all kind of works. And so perhaps upon a second viewing, I would appreciate it more. But going into it, not really knowing what to get or what, what I'm expecting, um, it, it is a little of a jarring watch. Uh, so for that, I, you know, I'm probably going to give it a, a slightly lower score, though I did enjoy it. And I think it does have rewatchability and is probably perhaps better uh, on a seasoned watch. So, you know, after having seen it, I think it would be better, though I don't know if I will go through the effort of watching it. Yet again, even though I did purchase this, and funny story on the way to purchasing this, um, it was something like $12 to buy it on like Vudu or Fandango or whatever. Uh, or I could buy the DVD or Blu-ray for like 8 bucks on Amazon. So I opted to do that because it had a redemption code. And then I, a couple hours later, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'll just spend the extra 4 bucks and buy it so I don't have to have the physical media and deal with that. And then it was too late to cancel it. So then I got the disc, redeemed the code, and got it digitally. And then two days later, it goes on sale on all those services for $5. So had I waited two more days, I would have saved even more money. And uh, anyway, first world problems. But my score is a 7.5 on this bad boy. 
Uh, I think it's a lot of fun, uh, and it's uh, it's definitely a chick flick. So watch it with your chicky babies and all that. Uh, Miguel, your final summary and review, please. Oh well, first of all, I mean, I guess you know if you're giving it a seven point five, that that goes to show you're one of those people that's googling why La La Land is good. You know, um, so but that's Let's fine. Do that right now. Why is La La Land? Yeah. But you're entitled to your opinion, and that's fine. But you're also the reason that I'm sure you're the reason that great film is dying. But uh, no, <laughs> totally just kidding there. Um, so I would easily get I would I would confidently give it a nine, um, you know, nine plus. I think there's to me, there's no wonder, you know, why I, I very much could have um, believed that this movie would have won Best Picture. Um you know, I'm not saying that's really like, oh, it's one of the greatest movies of all time. I just, you know, I enjoy it a lot. Um, I enjoy the story and it was just executed so well. Um, so I I definitely would give it um, give it a nine. And Scott, funny, you mentioned like if you don't know what you're going into watching the movie, you don't know that it's a musical, then it probably is a bit of a surprise. And come to think of it, that was kind of the situation my wife and I were in when we went to see it. I didn't know it was a musical. I just saw it's it's emma stone and it's ryan gosling it's it's bound to be good people are talking about this so we went to see it and right off the bat i was like oh we're watching a musical okay and the beginning is so exaggerated and it's i think it's meant to be that way i think it's definitely an on-purpose kind of situation where it's like really okay all the la people are stuck in traffic and they're getting out and they're singing and dancing and it's like give me a break it's it's like meant to make you roll your eyes right by how just that's just they're in this environment where everybody's i don't know in inauthentically cheery or something um don't know what the real moral to the story about that is but it is another it's just an interesting way to start the story off where that was actually their first interaction was in traffic where he like you know is honking his horn excessively at her and she flicks him off and they they were just someone in the crowd you know npcs to each other hated each other um i thought that was just a neat and it, it kind of makes me think about the environment that those of us who live in cities are living in where we do kind of just feel like someone in the crowd like oh i'm just surrounded by people who wouldn't really understand me if they tried so why even bother you know um but all it takes is that one person out there to really see who you are and to love you for it you know that's all it really takes um, and I believe that someone is out there for everyone and, um, and it's a risk to let people in to even know who you are, but it's a risk that I think, um, hopefully pays off. So yeah, I think it's a good movie. I'd g- I'll give it a, I'll give it a, I don't know. I'll give it a 9.3. 9.3. Um, All right. Using my, using my calculations that are very scientific. So <laughs> follow the science there, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to the science. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, very good. Well, uh, this has been a, uh, a good discussion. So thank you for that. We do have some uh, post-show content and pre-show content that we've already done, but the post-show content called Kathleen Turner Overdrive, which will be coming up right after this, which is available for our Patreon supporters. So I hope that you can uh, stick around for that, Miguel. Uh, and then, um, Robert, next week, we got uh, some new stuff coming up. Um, let me see here. What, I, what did I write about this? Oh, we're going to do a movie that just a few short months ago felt a long way off in the United States, though it did, it did feel like it was coming. Uh, but all of a sudden, it feels all too real as we explore the East German Stasi in the lives of others with our good friend John Reed. Uh, this is a movie I've been wanting to do for quite some time. 
Uh, it's been on my my list. I have hundreds of movies on this list, and I moved it up because of recent events in social media and uh, the shunning of people from <laughs> good society and all these things for having wrong think and uh, people turning on each other for not wearing masks and having more than three people in their house and things like that. So I feel like talking about East German Stasi, which when this movie was made, I'm sure that the thought was that could never happen here. Well, we're living through it almost uh, right now. So I think it's an appropriate time to do this one. And uh, Robert, any, any preliminary thoughts? Uh, have you seen this movie or do you, do you kind of know what I'm talking about? I have not seen the film. I believe it's, is it, uh, it's a subtitled film shot oh, in yeah. original German. You got to do some reading. So I'm sorry. Oh, no, I apologize. I ahead of time. Singing, and now I have to do reading. I'm back in school. This is a nightmare. All right. All right. No, it should be good. Uh, it follows what it's, it's uh, just a social elite people that find themselves on the wrong end of the Gestapo, basically. I think it's or the what? neighbors turning on neighbors and the living in fear of being uh, turned in. Uh, there's, you know, spying devices and, and surveillance happening. I, I haven't watched it myself other than parts of it. I remember seeing it recommended in an article that I saw maybe on LouRockwell.com. Um and uh, I watched part of it, and then, well, basically, we're going to watch it for next week, and it's going to be great. It's a, it's a, well, it's a claimed movie. It's going to be good. I'm looking forward to how quaint the the spying technology is, because we live in a 2021 where we're literally can be easily spied on at any given point at all times. Right. So that's fun. We have we have voluntarily purchased surveillance devices that we carry with us everywhere at all times yes yes so it'll be adorable when they've got like some bug that they have in their telephone or something so we'll see right i'm looking forward so anyway it'll be it'll be a lot of fun so miguel any uh final messages or or ways that people can follow what you do we of course will have your prior appearances on our show notes page uh those being the social network and then uh, napoleon dynamite with the great uncle rico Yes, those are a lot of fun. And uh, this was a lot of fun too. Thanks again. Um, like I mentioned, folks can find me at my personal website, amagi.life, where I haven't been writing like a ton. Um, I've wanted to write more. Um, if anything, I've written more scattered across different little social medias in my Discord groups or my, you know, I, you can see, you can you can check me out on Minds. I think on Minds.com, I'm at Real Miguel Duque. And then on Float, dot float.app or float.com or whatever um f-l-o-t-e i'm a i'm a, at amagi.life actually it's, it's actually like amagi d-o-t life um but if you go to amagi.life the website uh you'll find links to all my profiles and such and i'm going to be writing more i'm going to be doing videos and, and good stuff like that i feel like i've rather than documenting everything going on in my life, which I'd like to do. I'd like to share more of my thoughts, kind of just been more busy, just living it, you know, and these crazy times. And I do wish that I'd been publishing more writing um, just to kind of get stuff off my chest and people can look back and see what things were really like, you know, during this, um, this, this, this new normal, uh, what have you, but uh, yeah, uh, definitely check me out at amagi.life. I also mentioned the LP Mises Caucus. Shout out to the LP Mises Caucus. Um, you can go to takehumanaction.com and also check out Freedom Cells. I really encourage everybody to check out Freedom Cells. 
Uh, me and my Freedom Cells friends have been doing some cool stuff. Like a couple weekends ago, we got together and we butchered three pigs. And I've never butchered an animal at all. But one of our Freedom Cells guys from Oregon is a chef. And he um, basically, his aunt was trying to get rid of some pigs on her property that were ready to butcher. And for free, he just brought them up, showed us how to butcher them. We all went home with a ton of meat. We're learning how to grow food. We're learning how to use um, encrypted communication and get like more or, or rather less dependent on the technocracy and the the whole corporatist status paradigm. So definitely check out Freedom Cells C E L L S dot org. Uh, and thanks, thanks everybody. I appreciate All right. it. Very good. And that, that's a lot of stuff that uh, you've mentioned. So I will re-listen to this and write it down. So it'll go on our show notes page at lastnighters.com slash 161. We'll be back at you guys next week with the great John Reed talking about the lives of others. And with that, we will say good night from last night, everyone. I wish you the very best. And oh, Robert, are there other ways they can support us? I, I, I don't want to um, you know cut you short there uh, before we move on to the uh, Kathleen Turner Overdrive. You can support us by resisting tyrants. I have spoken. That's all I want to say today. That's all. That's all I want to say. Resist tyrants. Thank you. Appreciate it. I thank you in, in advance. Love it. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Peace out, everyone.